0: One thing I've noticed just from being around people and myself is that we tend to have some inconsistent perspectives about God. We think a couple different things about God that don't always go together so well. Um, For instance... Um, There's a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians included, people who just kind of believe in God but maybe don't hold to a faith, um, who believe that God is all-loving, all-gracious, and all-merciful, that God's forgiveness is automatic to every human being who has ever lived, it doesn't matter uh, really of your lifestyle, it doesn't matter your religious persuasion, What. Religion uh, you hold to just god 's forgiveness just kind of hits everybody and everything's universal, and God does all grace and all love and all forgiveness and and we might not say it that way, but I 'll tell you where this shows up every time and I've seen it over and over again at funerals. I go to a lot of funerals as a pastor and i've I've been to definitely my fair share in the last decade and a half or so, and one thing i've heard it. I was trying to think if, it was, if I could think of any exceptions, and I couldn't think of any exceptions, okay? I, I remember hearing this at almost every single funeral. Someone will say, and you've heard it too, at least they're in a better place. Only eight people showed up because they were such a mean and horrible person. But now that they're dead, at least they're in a better place place right and so like as if the only criteria to get into heaven is dying well if that's the criteria to get into heaven man that's a low bar because guess what every one of us are going to jump that bar, okay? And I'm not making fun of that mentality of a better place and wanting people to go there and finding comfort in that. I truly believe in everlasting life for those of us who put our faith in Jesus. But what I am saying is there's this idea that all of us kind of want to adhere to that everybody gets forgiven of everything regardless of how they've lived, what their religious beliefs are, everybody's in. And we just kind of want everybody to have... Grace for everything, and we just think that God must be made of cotton candy because, doggone it, He's just so sweet, right? But there's other times where things will happen in our life and we will drop that belief in a heartbeat, okay? Somebody cuts you off when you're driving down the road, you honk your horn because what they did was dangerous, they give you the finger, floor it, and blaze down the road like 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. Cops right there pulls you over for improper horn usage. You don't think, well, at least they got away with it. At least they can get off scot free. At least they don't have to suffer the consequences of their moment of road rage. No, you th- you want to yell at the cop and say, "Me? You're coming after me? Did you see that guy? You need to go take that guy down." Okay. And so there's moments when we have this idea of, "Oh, grace for everybody. No, nothing really is a big deal." We throw that out the window quick in certain situations, and it might be um, some corporate bigwig that you know is in the news because they've got this lawsuit against them and that lawsuit against them and you know at the end of the year they're still getting their paycheck worth millions of dollars and all kinds of stock options that go with it and you're like how can somebody like that just get away with it how are they just kind of running with it and and they're making a killing and nobody seems to be there to stop them or it could be um someone who commits a serious crime and they go to court and get let off on some kind of a technicality. But there are moments, regardless of how fluffy and lovey and forgiving that we want God to be, that we throw that out the window. And we don't want forgiveness for people. We want, like, lightning from heaven. Like, we want a stray meteor to come and hit that car that fl- of the guy that flipped us off, right? Um, we want um, a, a an earthquake to swallow up the building of that Im- in immoral uh, business guy. like We want divine retribution, and we want to see it. We want to know that people will get what's coming to them. There's just that desire inside of us for justice, that desire inside of us to see evil get repaid. We don't want to see evil just get someone to just get away with it. It bugs us very, very much. Now, before we get back to that... Um, we're going to do a little background of where we've been so far. If you weren't here last week, we started just kind of a two-week journey through the book of Obadiah. And just to kind of let you know what's going on there is Obadiah was a prophet. Um, unfortunately for Obadiah, the only place he shows up in his book is at the very beginning when it says, Obadiah, a prophet of God. So he, he's not really a character in his book because the way prophets often worked was they were just a, a person that God spoke to so that he could speak through them. And so Obadiah, he's the the messenger of this of this content that we're looking at today. And what was really going on is is God is speaking to a nation called Edom. And Edom was sort of a brother nation to Israel. Israel Israel's who the Old Testament is all about. They're like the main character in the Old Testament. And Edom was kind of like their brother nation because if you trace back their family lines, they actually went all the way back to two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And so Jacob and Esau were brothers. They didn't always get along. They patched it up in the end the way brothers often do. Um, But Jacob's descendants became the nation of Israel, and Esau's descendants became the nation of Edom. And God takes relationships very, very seriously. I don't know if you know this, but God takes relationships and family bonds very, very, very seriously. And he expected, even though hundreds of generations have passed between Jacob and Esau and Israel and Edom, he still expects these nations to kind of conduct themselves with some sort of care for the other nation. And at this point in Israel's history, what had happened was the big world power of the day was Babylon. Babylon came in and just basically flattened Israel, and they just ransacked what was left of Israel. They just really took it out. And while they're flattening Israel, Edom shows up, and they help Babylon destroy their brother nation. And God is... So angry at Edom, they should have rushed in to help and not rush in to you know add fuel to the fire. And so the entire book of, of Obadiah is really God speaking condemnation and judgment on Edom. And to be honest with you, after you read what they've done, it's incredibly satisfying. Like once you understand, hey, they betrayed their brother nation, and and you read some of the ways that they did it. Like uh, we looked at this last week, but when Babylon came in and started ransacking the cities. Not everybody gets caught in that. And there was a few people from, you know, say Jerusalem that would escape and try to get out of there before they get killed. Well, the people from Edom, they were waiting outside the cities. And when they saw somebody get away, they either snagged him and killed them or took them back to the Babylonians to get wiped out that way. And so they were just picking off the innocent people who had a hope of rescue. And so when you see somebody doing something like that, so evil, and you read Obadiah, for our little sense of justice, it's incredibly satis- satisfying. Okay, but... What about, let's go back to what we were talking about, what about those times when it feels like maybe God took the day off? What about those times when if God exists, he's, pay, he's like not paying attention, he's got his eyes closed, he's sleeping or something, because if God really cared, if he was really a God of good and evil and all the things that we say that God is, why does he let so much evil happen in the world? Why does he let so many people get away with it? Um, this past week, I came across an article as I was, I don't know what I had Googled to get here or something. I was Googling like getting away with it or something like that, right? And I found this article of this lady. She was married and had kids and had a very normal life. You know, her kids were in sports and she had a job. Her husband had a job. They both did things with friends and full calendar, the whole normal family, right? But the article was about the fact that she was having an affair with her husband's best friend. And so the start of the article was kind of the story of how it came to be and how she, you know, this affair started. But the bulk of the article was basically her justifying herself, why it was okay to live this second life, deceiving her whole family and everyone else in her life, and then bragging about the fact that she was so meticulous and she had set things up so carefully that she would never, ever, ever get caught. And the thing that floored me the most about this whole story was that she's been doing this for nine years and I think, she's, a, she's, she's got this dual life, and she's getting away with it. And I've, I'm like, okay, God, you invented marriage. It's your thing. It was supposed to be this deeply special covenant promise between a, a husband and a wife, and it was meant to be this thing that was precious and cared for. And here's this lady just kind of ignoring so much of that and getting away with it, apparently, according to her article. She was so brazen she even wrote an article about it, right? I mean... It's, it's so, I was like, why? That doesn't seem fair. Why would God allow that to happen? Why would God allow somebody to do that? Or maybe you venture into the realm of politics because you can't not see constant political stuff in your eyes anytime you look at any screen in your world or even a newspaper. And it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on, by the way. You look at politics in our country, in our state, and you just think, these people are immoral and they are all almost rotten to the core and somebody is making money somewhere but it ain't the people and, and how are they getting away with it? How can they get reelected time after time after time and, and cheat people over and over and over again? How is this possible? And it frustrates us because we hope that somewhere justice would take over and balance the scales a little bit. Or maybe you hear some horrible story, um, usually it's Christians that are drawing attention to this, but um, something like human trafficking, where there's human beings who make money capturing young women and selling them into sex slavery for a life of abuse and torture and horror and Some of those people have been doing it for a long time. They have people that work under them and networks of transportation to get girls to these horrible lives. And they get rich doing it. And I just think, how, God, if you're up there, are you paying attention? Are you looking at these people and what they're doing? In fact, one of the common answers I hear when I talk to people and and. They are atheists and they say, Why? And I say, Why are you an atheist? They say, Because I can't get on board with a God who would allow so many people to get away with evil. Like, I can't see a God that would allow all of that stuff out there that happens. Well, let's read a little bit into Obadiah and we're going to get some of those satisfying words of judgment that God has for Edom. And in there, though, we are also going to find a reason, an answer for why sometimes it looks like God is letting people kind of get away with murder. So we'll be in Obadiah 15. Obadiah 15, if you brought your own Bible, use that index in the front. If you didn't, if you're going to use a Black Pew Bible, I think we'll be on, uh, what page we got here? Sorry, 772, 772. I think like this much of it goes over onto 773, so uh, good luck with that if you want to. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It says, For the day of the Lord... Is, upon, is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in, the Mount, but in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. It shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. He's saying, as much as God's going to wipe out Edom, after they tried to wipe out Israel, some people in Israel are going to be alive, and they will return to the, the promised land that God has given them, and they will repossess that in time. He says, the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. Joseph was one of Jacob's sons. And the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. That's very final, right? And so we get into these words, and, and man, that sounds like justice. It sounds so promising. Um, God's saying things like, as you have done, so it shall be done to you, okay? Okay. What y- your behavior is going to boomerang on you. You did evil; evil's coming right back on you. You tried to destroy; you're going to get wiped out. You're going to get destroyed. Um, this is very much him saying, "What goes around comes around." You ever said that? You ever said, "What goes around comes around?" You know why you say that? Because it brings you comfort when you're frustrated that someone's a jerk, or that someone was cruel to you, or that somebody got away with something. It's your way of saying, "What goes around comes around," and it's just your way of coping with the fact that they got off scot-free. What goes around, comes around. But listen to this, the types of judgment that he doles out on Edom. He says, as you have drunk, so all nations will drink. Um, what he's saying is, what probably happened is, after Israel was defeated, the Edomites were in on the celebration. They partied a little bit, and they drunk in celebration to their victory over Israel. But then God says, so now you're going to drink. But there was this idea all through the Old Testament that when God made you drink something, it was his wrath. And the word used um, for drink here is drink loudly. Almost as if you're like, like like you can't stop drinking because somebody's pouring it down your throat. Um, You ever had a kid at VBS who just came in from playing outside and then they get snack time and they get that watered down Kool-Aid that we sometimes serve, right? And then they're, I mean, they're drinking like they haven't seen water in days. I mean, And you wonder if they, how can they go so long without breathing? Are they ever going to stop drinking? And they're just chugging it down, okay? That's the kind of stuff. Every now and then my wife will be drinking something and I'll just grab the end of the bottle and hold it up. She loves it when I do that. It's just, she, that's why she married me, because I do things like that. Um, and, so, and so, but that's the idea. He says, as, as you guys celebrated, you, you drank in celebration, now you're going to drink my wrath, my anger for what you've done. And, the way, and, and they're not going to be able to stop drinking until they were gone. And he says, Esau, his, he's going to have no descendants left when all of this is over. And so, after this long list of things Edom has done, it feels a little good to say, "Okay, God is paying attention here. God is going to answer them back. Not, and He's not just going to answer them back. Okay, you did something bad. Now it's time for punishment. He's going to return to them in like kind for what they did. Like it's it's a fair, it's a just thing of God catching this evil that is on them. And so we get satisfied when we see." justice come. We get satisfied when we hear that you know, conviction that came down from that trial or whatever it is that's been in the news and we, and we get guilty and we go, okay, good, that person deserved it. Oh yeah, there's that little sense of something that ticks off in our heart because I think God built you and I to appreciate and desire and to crave justice. I think he put that in there. I think some people, and some human beings have quieted that voice of their conscience, that part of their conscience, but for the most part, overwhelmingly, We like justice, and it it appalls us when we see justice go undone. Um, In fact, if you want to find something incredibly satisfying, go home this afternoon, get on YouTube, and just look up videos called Instant Karma. You could sit there for the rest of the day. You will go. You will sleep so good. Just going, oh man, it's so good. I mean, there's things. There, there's a guy sitting there and he has a dash cam, and this guy floors it through a red light, and there's just a cop sitting there, and the cop is just was like, oh, okay, and goes and pulls him over. I mean, it's like, oh, that, that never happens to me when I see someone run a red light. There's no cops within ten miles. But you watch the, oh man, uh, I will say this. Since it is YouTube, parents. Parental guidance is heavily suggested because you never know what you're going to get there. Um, and some of those might have some language and whatnot. But instant karma videos, man, you just watch people doing stupid stuff and getting caught for it. It is, it is rewarding. It's, it, bless, it blesses that little part of your heart that wants justice. I promise you that, okay? Okay, so as God is doing all this stuff and he's promising all of these things and giving them justice, then why is it, why is it? That sometimes people get away with it. Why is it that sometimes it looks like people get off scot-free? Well, it's because when God talks about justice, when he talks about a lot of things actually, but including justice, he is not working on the same scale that we are working on. He's working on an eternal scale. You see, we want instant justice, instant karma. We want what goes around to come around real quick so that we can see it and feel that satisfaction. But God works on this eternal scale. The very beginning of those verses in verse 15, it said, The day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord, or the day of Yahweh, if you don't know this, in the Old Testament, Yahweh is the name of God. Every time you come across the capital L, then the little caps O R D, um, that is a substitution in our English Bibles for the name of God, which is Yahweh. This is the day of Yahweh, and it always refers to the end of time when God comes back to reckon all things, to balance the scales, to punish all that has been evil, and to reward all those who have been good and who are righteous. It is when God will punish all things. And so when we want punishment, when we want justification for what has done wrong, God will will absolutely balance those scales. He will see all things, but he works on an eternal scale when it comes to punishing those things. And so God will hand out punishment, but it might not be now. And though God is definitely concerned with justice, Yahweh is absolutely a God of justice. He is not that concerned with handing out justice in such a way that you will get to see it and feel the satisfaction of it. So we see God sees all evil, even though sometimes we feel like he doesn't. He punishes all evil, even though sometimes it feels like he doesn't. But we won't always see God's punishment, because some of it is reserved for the day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh. And what that means is that we, this is a frustrating reality, is that from our eyes, right now, here now, sometimes people will do evil and it will look like they get off scot-free. Sometimes people will look like they get away with all kinds of stuff, but ultimately speaking, nobody escapes the day of our Lord. Nobody escapes the day of Yahweh. All evil will eventually be answered for. Because, again, from God's perspective, He is a God who is so, so intent on justice that He, he is determined that all evil, every ounce of evil must be punished. Every sin must be answered for and receive a punishment. And um, that is the part of the end of days that is satisfying to us. Because, again, if there is any evil left over, and we've seen some terrible things. I mean, you hear stories sometimes on the news that almost make you want to throw up. Because you think, how can somebody's heart be so cold and so callous and so evil. And you feel like even a life in prison can't make up for the evil in their hearts. That's where the day of the Lord can come in. God records all evil in everyone's life that they have ever done, and we will have to make a reckoning for it at the end of all days. Because every bit of evil committed by human beings gets punished one way or another. And as as much as that can be a comfort when we see people get away with stuff, trusting to the fact that, okay, I didn't see God Punish. I didn't see God judge that, but God will. And so sometimes when we see that frustrating stuff, we find comfort in the day of the Lord and we just kind of trust that God and vengeance is his, okay? Um, but the scary part about all that is that all that same stuff that's true is when we think of murderers and pedophiles and all these things and people that we're, we kind of are okay with them getting punished. All of these words also apply to us. Every sin and evil thing we've ever done Every every cruel thing we've ever said. I said some cruel stuff in my day. I've thought some horrible things in my day. Every time we've laughed at somebody else's downfall, and we probably have all done that because we thought it was instant karma and it brought us a little bit of joy down in our hearts. We've all lied. We've all broken promises. We've all done these things. And God has seen every single one of the evil things that we've done. He hasn't forgotten a one of them. And every bit of my evil and your evil must be answered. And that makes the day of the Lord very scary. That makes the idea that God is a God of justice very, very terrifying. But as much as Yahweh is a God of justice, we've got to flip the coin over and look that he is also a God of grace and mercy and love. And this is where Jesus comes into this equation. Obviously in the Old Testament we don't get a ton of the Messiah right there in these day of the Lord talks, but as it is fleshed out through the history of Israel, we learn that God, Yahweh, out of his great love for you and for me, loved us even at our worst. Whatever that worst thing you've ever done is that moment when you feel God possibly couldn't love me in the middle of this. He loved you even in that, and he saw how stuck you were in your evil. He saw how how caught you were, and he saw down the line to the day of the Lord and the punishment that you would receive for that evil that you had been storing up for yourself. And he sent Jesus into our life, and Jesus lived a perfect, utterly honorable, utterly obedient life to God, a life that you and I have all failed to live. And then Jesus was put on trial And he was put on trial in our place, and he was found guilty, and he went to the cross. And he hung on a Roman cross, and he was beaten and bruised, and he hung there until the life was suffocated out of him. And in that moment, he took on himself... All of the punishment for all of the evil that we have ever done, the evil you haven't even committed yet, he saw that, loved you enough to take that on the cross, and the full wrath of God, all the evil that we have stored up from God for the evil things we've done was poured out on Christ on the cross. You know, sometimes I think we... We misunderstand exactly what Jesus did for us. Okay, we we use say things like forgiveness and He gives us second chances and a clean slate, and those things are true. But I think they give us the idea as if Jesus is some kind of magician and He's got His little you know little handkerchief and He holds up our sin and He's like and it's gone, or as if all of our sins He's keeping a record of them on a whiteboard and to make them go away He just got to get out the eraser and you know whip them away real quick. That's not how it works. All evil does, must be paid for because God is a God of justice. All evil deserves a punishment, and God's wrath is there for all of the evil. And Jesus, he didn't make it disappear, he didn't make it go away, he took it in our place. All of those horrible things that are built up from evil, all all the punishments that we deserve, Jesus took those things. Every ounce of wrath God felt for sin, Jesus took it in our place. And so in order to save you, Jesus got in the way of you receiving the punishment so that you and I could stand free. The punishment has been paid. The burden of our sins has been lifted. Jesus endured the anger and wrath of God so that we could earn not a lifetime of punishment, which is what we had built up, but rather we could, earn, we could have from him a lifetime, an eternal lifetime of salvation and grace and mercy. And so, the only reason, those of us in this room who call ourselves Christians, Christians, the only reason we will not be on the receiving end of God's wrath in the day of Yahweh is because Jesus took that punishment for us. And it is important for us as Christians to see the weight of that. It is important for us as Christians to understand what he did. It wasn't, again, we just think, oh, he took our sins away. Wow! And we take communion and we think, that was nice of Jesus. He did a nice thing for us, just making all that stuff go away. It's not like um, when you call customer service because you got overcharged on something and they say, you know what, we'll just give you the whole thing for free. Boop, and they type a few things on the computer and the whole cost goes away. It's not that simple of a transaction. All the punishment was there. All of God's wrath for your evil was still there. It's just that Jesus endured the punishment so that you wouldn't have to. It was not something simple. It was not something easy. He took all of it. And when we reject Jesus, all of that is still on us at the day of the Lord. All of that punishment is still on our backs, on our shoulders at the day of the Lord. In fact, Romans 2, 5, Paul's writing to the church in Rome saying that when we reject Jesus, he says you're storing up for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteousness is, Righteous judgment will be revealed. You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. That's all we're doing with our lives. When we do evil and think evil things, we're just adding to the bank. Adding to the bank of things that we deserve to be punished for. But with Jesus, when we accept him and we trust in him for our lives and our eternity, we don't receive the wrath that we've stored up. He took it. He takes it away so that we don't have to. And we receive not wrath, not punishment, not hell, but we receive eternal, everlasting life with the one who proved his love for us so much that he died for us. Because in Christ, we are not held responsible for our sins. In fact, a little bit later, in that same letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul says this. There is now. What are those next two words? There are now what? No condemnation. You stand trial. You are innocent in the face of God because Jesus already takes that away for you. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are not condemned to die for our evil. Jesus died in our place. And I know how much we want justice. I know I know how much that feels good, but I'm really glad that God gives us a break. I'm really glad that God sent Jesus because when I look at how... When I look at how God has operated in in this whole grand thing and how I tend to think, um, going back to where we started, we want grace for everybody. That sounds nice. It sounds wonderful that grace and and stuff for everybody, nobody suffers for what they've done. God just forgives it all and wipes it all away. We want that easy kind of fluffy salvation for everybody um, is what we say. But when we are down to it, we really only want it for us. And when somebody wrongs us, that's when we get out our our wrath, and that's when we get out. Oh, God's divine lightning, come down and strike them like Thor's mighty hammer, you know, that kind of stuff. And the reality is that both of those things are wrong and both of those things are right. That sin, evil, always deserves God's judgment. That feeling that we feel, that's right to some extent. But that desire for grace, that craving for forgiveness, that is also right. And it is for everybody, but it wasn't so easy and and free that we can just toss it around like nothing matters. Because the evil still really matters. And it's Jesus that brings those two ideas into focus. It's Jesus that brings harmony between the judgment of God and the grace and the freedom and the forgiveness of God. And so do not forget the weight of that Jesus took from you and from me when he went to the cross. The weight of condemnation, the weight of our sin, the weight of our evil, because in Jesus there is now no condemnation for us if we believe and put our hope and our faith in him. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this tricky idea. Talking about condemnation is not great, talking about judgment is not incredibly satisfying and fun. And there are other topics that are lighter and easier to get through. Uh, But we cannot understand the sheer beauty of what Jesus did for us. Unless we're willing to dive into that dark, dark subject of judgment and condemnation. You see, we we can proclaim our freedom in Christ. Freedom from all of our mistakes, all of our evil. We can stand up proudly today. Those of us who are Christians can can proclaim that we are free from the weight of that. The burden of our whole lifetime of evil, every evil thought, every time we weren't good enough for something or someone, all of that is off our shoulders in Christ. Every time we felt like we deserved punishment or that we weren't good enough for you, all of that is taken away by Jesus. Let us not forget Let us not forget what he did for us. Let us not forget the weight of sin and the weight of the punishment and the wrath that you feel towards evil, God. You hate evil because it hurts us. It hurts the world that you've made and the people that you love. And if you accepted it, it would mean that you didn't love us. It would mean you didn't care what we did to one another. And so we're glad that you have a hatred for evil. But we're also glad that your love for us extended to such depths that you would even rescue us from our own evil and from our own consequences. We are our own worst enemies, but we will never find a better friend than Jesus who died in our place. So thank you, Father. Let us understand the size and scope of his sacrifice for us on the cross and exactly what he took away, but ex- also exactly what he gives us, which is freedom from condemnation, freedom to live a better life, freedom from any sort of judgments that other people want to toss at us, freedom from not being good enough, because you proved us good enough when he died for us on the cross and took all of our sin away. Thank you so much for his sacrifice. We pray this in his good and holy name. Amen.